0: Eight, seven,
1: six, five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to the 67th episode of the OpVac Cast. I am not your esteemed host, Steve Cuff. But I am Sean Glennis, and I will be your host for the night, and I'll try my best to do my Steve Guff impression, uh, and I'll start it with... um, How's it going, buttheads? Nicely done. It's
2: like he's in the room.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Uh, I was working on that. I was like in the mirror for a while before we started, and uh, I think it came out well. Uh, I bet you were. (laughs) Um... (laughs)
0: Jake Trapila. Hey, what's going on, buddy? It's your birthday this week. It is, in two days' time. Um, What
1: is your biggest birthday wish for... What? Uh, how old are you
0: turning? I'll be 28.
1: 28. Uh, what's your I'll- birthday wish for your 28?
0: Oh, God. Uh, I I don't know. I have more of a goal. I want to write more. Really, Jake? There's right. families being separated at the border. You're like, <laughs> oh, I want to write more. <laughs> Yeah. And I would like a blurry copy of Modern Romance. That's a pretty good Ooh, wish, I think.
1: I want that too, that indicator.
0: Yeah. It's coming um, out soon.
1: I think it's out. I could be wrong. Uh but that's a good wish. I like part of that. You could write to your senator if that's what you mean. <laughs> um,
2: write
0: more to your senator.
1: <laughs> um practice your writing through letters to your senator.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, now that we're getting a space force, what more wishes do we have left?
1: That's true. Um, we have uh, Eric Bailey from uh, East Coast, fresh from New York. Is it true what they say about the bagels,
3: Eric? Um, they flow like, like, they, like the. They just pick them out of the East River every day like the the bagels flow like water here I don't know (laughs) where the the bagels
1: flow like beer um is it the so is it in the water is
3: is the water the secret um I think so I think that that must be because I don't know where else they would get it from (laughs) (laughs) okay it's the water and the trash on the streets combined beautifully
1: (laughs) And um, we have tonight's hungry boy, Jack Eason. How are you doing, Jack? I'm pretty good. Uh, And for anyone who doesn't get that reference,
2: I am currently holding my dinner. So, you know, we're very (coughs) organized
3: here.
1: That's right. And I I, I guess I didn't actually ask Eric how how he's doing. How are you doing, Eric?
3: I'm doing great, Sean. Okay.
1: Um, So tonight we have sort of a ragtag group. Uh, actually, we're it's kind of the highbrow group of Opfac Cast, which we brought together for this very appropriate reason. Uh, we're doing sort of 2018 uh, first half art house roundup, um, and we brought we brought only. Only the uh, intelligent boys on for this because the other two are like watching, I don't know, like upgrade for the third time. Oh, Steve Cuff is probably making his way out to Infinity War for the fourth time. Um,
0: Either that or they're just binging on whatever's on their Amazon Prime. uh, Oh, yeah. For caustic
1: content <laughs> yeah. which you can also find on the guest network
0: you're really
2: uh, building, you're really building this up Sean we but we, we really need to make some good points now I was just gonna wing us
1: synergy okay uh, so I have kind of a an interesting little setup for tonight so what we have for the slate uh, the slate of art house films that we could touch on, are as follows Lucretia Martel's Zama, Paul Schrader's first reformed, Claire Denise Let the Sunshine In, Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here, Bruno Demond uh, Jeanette, the Childhood of Joan of Arc, uh Philaska Greasebox Western, and Clojau's the Writer. So that's a lot of movies to get through in a reasonably sized podcast. So what I thought we could do is do a bit of an on-air draft wherein <clears throat> we go through and each person, one by one, gets to draft a movie that's still on the list for us to discuss for 10 to 15 minutes, and then we move on. So technically, we're not going to get through all of these movies, but we'll probably get through four of them, I think. So um, is that cool with you guys?
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's fine by me. Uh, does anybody want to leave the podcast?
2: Yes, that's, I was just going to ask, if it's not cool with one of us, what are we going to do?
1: Hey. Yeah. All right.
2: Oh, no well, answer. I see. No, you didn't even think that far ahead.
1: Uh, you can leave, man. You can leave. I. You just suffer the social consequences. But... Uh, true. Uh, okay, so I thought we could go through this alphabetically and start with Eric Bailey. So... Eric Bailey, do you have a movie from this list that you want to draft to talk about for 10 to 15 minutes?
3: I do. Um, I'm going to pick what uh, my favorite of the list and probably my favorite movie of the year so far, uh, Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here. Ooh,
1: A Dark Horse, coming out of the gate.
3: Um, Yeah, like, I was sort of blown away by this movie. I was hearing really good things about it, even though it was... Um, out of can from not this past year but the year before um, Lynn Ramsey premiered a, a semi incomplete cut of it and it got released earlier this year I think uh, in about March mm-hmm. um, it stars joaquin Phoenix as a sort of uh, it's, he, I guess he doesn't have like an official title he's a sort of like hitman or enforcer who sort of specializes in rescuing girls who are like get caught up in like sex trafficking or who are, who are kidnapped or you know mm-hmm. uh, what have you and he gets caught up in this like really vast web of like conspiracy like governmental conspiracy type stuff when he's tasked with finding this governor's uh, lost daughter and um, what struck me was I've always been like a fan of Lynn Ramsey's I haven't uh seen too many of her films. I've only seen Ratcatcher, but like I was blown away by it by the first time I saw it and like this um I I've always appreciated her <laughs> style and how she's so detail oriented and she's she she really does um uh she she's great at that maxim of like show don't tell, which is so important in movies and she really um, especially in this film You Were Never Really Here which is in a lot of ways a very kind of basic straightforward kind of meat and potatoes crime thriller about like it's very violent it's very dark um, it has moments of like really bleak humor but it's it's pretty heavy stuff I mean like the main sort of hook of it is like it's about sex trafficking um, but um, she manages to convey like Joaquin Phoenix Phoenix's character's entire backstory without like a single line of dialogue explaining anything um, he's able she's able to convey like a whole like this really like complex interesting relationship that he has with his mother um, again, just with like the behavior of the two actors like how Joaquin Phoenix interacts with the actress who plays his mother and mm-hmm. I just thought it, I thought it was like a really um, beautiful um uh illustration of how like tra- like trauma can connect people even though um, and how it creates empathy and um even if you don't have like the exact same trauma the fa- like as somebody else the fact that you are both sort of victims of trauma can connect you and and and, and, and by having somebody that you connect with having somebody that acknowledges your trauma that that in and of itself can help you heal and help you um, uh, uh, at least take steps to overcome that um, sure. trauma. So, but um, I know this movie has divided a lot of people. There's a lot of people who love it, um, but I also it's know people- the country. <laughs> 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 um, but I also know there's a lot of people who don't. Um, who don't like it that much i like the the most common criticism that i've seen is that like it's a pretty like straightforward unoriginal story do- told in like a really compelling style but that's not enough to make it a compelling movie which like mm-hmm. is, is kind of an argument that i don't get like i i mean like roger the famous roger ebert quote is um it, a movie's not what it's about it's how it's about it and like that's that really is like best exemplified by this movie you were never really here which is like um so yeah i i i'm interested to hear what everybody else thought about it um for the you who have seen it
1: i i like i liked the movie for sure and um i was i was pretty positive on it but i kind of fall into that camp of i am more taken with like i think the film's made in the editing room and that's kind of fascinating to watch. But what you're saying about how you don't really... You you get his background through just, like, little hints and cues. I really appreciate that. Um, But I watched... uh, the the movie kind of uh, made me think about Taxi Driver, but I rewatched Taxi Driver last week, and um, thinking about that, I was like, "Oh wow, that really does share a lot." And I don't, I don't think that was talked about enough. Um, but you know, it has like the whole like uh, Palantine, like uh, conspiracy stuff, and then also just like trying to get this this young girl out of out of a uh, ring of prostitution. But mm-hmm. um, I I like it, but um, I think. Jake probably liked it more than I, so why don't you talk about Jake?
0: Sure, yeah, and and this is a film. Um, I I kind of I found it oddly perplexing on my first watch. Um, not that I couldn't really comprehend what I was seeing, but it was just it's such a very even with a, br- a brief running time. It's only like eighty eight minutes. It's like a very uh, scattered and unwieldy film, but it's one that's really kind of stayed with me and grown on me and. I'm just sort of fascinated by all these like images of a very animalistic Joaquin Phoenix. Like, there's just scenes of him like sitting in a sauna and just like all the all the sweat dripping through his beard hair and him. uh, I I don't know. I I, I, it's a sensory
1: experience for sure. Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's more about yeah. It's more works more for me on an aesthetic level than it does on a narrative. Um, And it's. going back to the taxi driver comparison there's also like the whole uh, thing with the like there's senators involved with this uh, underground uh, young girl trafficking scheme which i i honestly i could do without this elaborate plot um, but yeah once anytime Joaquin's in action which is 95% of the whole film i i find myself compelled because um, and a lot of it is just so incredibly well done and innovative like the the first real set piece where he goes into the house to save the girl, it's oh, yeah. shown through all these. Uh, that's ins- yeah, that's yeah.
1: that's that's outstanding scene.
0: Yeah, it's shown through all these security cam footage of him making his way up through several floors and taking out several bodyguards, and the uh, the soundtrack is like skipping around as it cuts from room to room, and it's not like in any the sequence of, it, of shots is not in any specific order. Like the song keeps cutting. Back and forth, and it's it's very jarring, but like very like I I felt gripping watching it. It's just so intense and very well done. And, and yeah, uh,
1: I've I've talked about that uh, elsewhere, but I I really like the way that it jumps uh, between. Uh, cuts from different security cameras or surveillance cameras, mm-hmm. like it, it really, like not making this because it's a pop song that's playing it, and not not letting this pop song just play like congruously, like really builds up this tension without without using yeah. um, other you know uh, uh, non diegetic tactics.
3: Yeah, yeah, and like that's I think that's kind of true. The whole movie is like Ramsey. She finds like really interesting ways to like subvert like she's given like she's given a pretty traditional action sequence, like, you know, Joaquin's storing this house to like take out some bad guys, and she finds she consistently finds really interesting ways to approach that. Like like the the one that really stuck out for me, the sequence, um the I guess the action sequence, quote unquote, that you call it was the climactic one where he's going to the house where the girl he's been tracking the entire movie and um, is being kept and instead of like giving us this big cathartic you know action sequence like he's like he she only shows us the, the the aftermath of a lot of the assault like him taking out this guard or him like Killing this one guy And like And he's always like Kind of on the edge Of the frame Or in the background Like almost like He's a ghost Like haunting this place And like That oh, was just something That like I remember just Sitting up And kind of Like in awe Of that whole Sequence Of that end sequence And then also like She she manages And we're making This sound like You know I think To co- to contrast it With Taxi Driver Which is a movie That's like Kind of like All in that Sort of like Gross like uh like disgusting like new york like Mm -hmm. like that you would know yeah that (laughs) that that gritty atmosphere like a lot of that movie does take place in that kind of dark underworld but like she also manages to find such like wonderful beautiful moments where it's like she manages to like contrast the two like the scene where um spoiler alert where joaquin phoenix is burying his mother um, like in a lake. The Shape of Water like, scene. Yeah, that <laughs> and, that's one of my gripes is that that shot is <laughs> straight out of Shape of Water. <laughs> I I'm going to disagree with you on that, but like I'm I'm going to say that like she was. So to be fair, it, it's
0: it is very possible that was shot first because this did premiere at Cannes last exactly. year, yeah. about six months before that's, Shape that's of Water came I mean. out theatrically.
3: Yeah, and I, you know, I like you guys said it's a total sensory experience. Like I just think everybody who was working on this was like at the top of their game. It's um, the score by Johnny Greenwood. I, I've just been listening to on repeat for months now. I think it's, okay. I think it's better better than anything he's done with Paul Thomas, Thomas Anderson. So
1: oh wow, yeah. Um, I, one last thing I wanted to say before we can move on is that uh, you kind you talked about how it was really violent, and then you it, I was reminded that. Uh, you were talking about how she frames him, and when I watched it, I, w- I was really taken with how she hides a lot of the violence, and, yeah. and sort of makes it makes it in the cuts between um, that. I don't know; it's really nice. Like she's it not made, like, look at this violence.
3: Yeah, it makes it more. It makes it more potent as a result. It makes it feel more violent. The fact that you mm-hmm. don't really see it.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's almost like the threat of violence is enough. Exactly. To carry it.
1: All right, so next, alphabetically, is Jack Easton. So, Jack, you have... Are you ready, Jack?
2: No. (laughs) Okay, I'm good to go now.
1: Alright. Thank you. Um... Okay, your options are Zama, First Reformed, Let the Sunshine In, Jeanette, The Childhood of Joan of Arc, of course, Western, and The Writer.
2: Okay, I am definitely from that list, I'm probably gonna pick... What's probably my favorite film of the year thus far... Maybe, maybe not. It's kind of a toss-up. But I'm going to go with Jeanette, the Ooh, Bruno Dumont wow. film. Which nice. is definitely one of the strangest films you're going to see this year. Um, very, very much not what anyone, I think, would ever expect setting foot into a, into a film. And even those who might be familiar with Bruno Dumont... Depending on what period of his cinema you've seen... This will may you still very much surprise you. Um, Essentially, a film about the childhood of Joan of Arc, as the title would suggest. Um, It's basically a heavy metal music straightforward
1: <laughs> biopic
2: yeah it's a very straightforward <laughs> depiction it's it's very much in the vein of say you know the standard Dreyer or the Luc Besson version <laughs> uh, it's uh, I mean it, yeah what, what we basically <laughs> have here is a, for as rich as cinema is in versions of Joan of Arc we have Dreyer and Rossellini and uh, you know Bresson the Bresson and Rivette and Luc Besson. All the people have made these versions of, of Joan of Arc, I can assure you this is unlike any of them. Um and it is basically centres on a young Joan at two stages when she's about thirteen and sixteen. Um, basically as a shepherdess in the French countryside discussing often with herself and sometimes with other interlocutors who may or may not be real, um, discussing her her vision for France, her concern about English occupation of France and so on. And she's discussing a lot of it through music, through singing, um, which is recorded live. There's not post-dubbing or anything, so we have uh, all of the foibles and kind of strained voices and everything um, of just live children being recorded singing this is a bit like a, a music concert you might show up to uh, with a soundtrack that doesn't quite gel with it by Igor I don't know how you pronounce <laughs> that, there's several ors at the end who is a French kind of electronic metal musician um, so basically it's Joan of Arc with head banging, and it's a ver- it's such a strange film and I feel like a, a lot of people got hung up on the strangeness of it but it's also an incredibly earnest discussion about Joan of Arc, first of all, but also about conceptions of religious faith and nationalism. So it's it's a it's a yeah. It, it, what i going I say? It's just a deeply unusual film, um, and I don't know yeah. who else here has seen it and what their takeaways are. But I I don't know. I know this is a film that prompted a lot of walkouts. So I didn't walk out. I I could not comprehend anyone yeah. enjoying the heck out of this film.
1: I think me and Jake saw. I don't. Did you see it, Eric? I um I missed it unfortunately. I I um I saw it at Southwest Southwest and um I didn't really know what it was and I, and I hadn't seen any uh, Dumont and unfortunately he did not make it but he was supposed to be there but um but I I walked in and um I heard that it was just like kind of a unusual musical or just a musical maybe and then um the, one of the programmers came up and he was like. Yeah, um, this is one that really divided us programmers, but I kind of like fought to keep it in. And uh, if nothing else, uh, it's something that you'll remember. And like, there were people, like, this woman sat next to me and she's like, Do you know what this is about? I was like, I was like, You're in, for, Joan of a Arc. Wild, <laughs> you're in for a wild ride. Um, yeah, I think it's the childhood of Joan of Arc. Uh, but I, uh, as much as it is like uh, what Jack was saying about and an intellectual experience, um, I want to like, and not to be cliche, but I think this is another way, like, a very sensory experience where I was just like, Gut laughing for the majority of the movie, like the timing, the comedic timing is so good, and it's just such a joyful movie in a in a really weird way, and um, the it's also beautiful. Like there's all these uh, sheep running throughout and in, in the countryside, and it's quite quite beautiful just to look at. But um, this the some of the stuff. Uh, of like the head banging and those then the music together and just watching this really odd mixture of like beautiful compositions and 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 weird um sensory things it's just really fun and then there's it takes a turn at the end where more of her family gets introduced and uh more comedy ensues it's i don't i almost don't want her local rapper uncle <laughs> yeah okay so her uncle is like a dapping white rapper and there's just like it's there's no way to really talk about it other than just say it's completely insane and i'm so glad i I, not to diminish any sort of like home viewing of it but i'm so glad i got to see it in in audiences i mean people walked out of mine even though it wasn't huge but i mean there was also plenty of us that were just chuckling like heartily for the whole like whatever hour and a half yeah,
0: yeah, it's certifiably insane, and uh, <laughs> I can almost I can almost sympathize with anyone who would want to walk out of it because it is kind of uh, it is it is a crazy and sometimes tough watch, but I still enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, I, I mean, couldn't take my, my only, eyes off it. Yeah, I only like I was just so uh, bemused by everything and every choice, like these the two the two nuns who come to talk to Joan of Arc about her childhood, and then they start dancing in unison and then bang, head banging so hard that their head skirts fall off. and
2: um, Worth um, noting, that's only one none. Played yeah, by that, two exactly. actresses for some
0: reason. D- played no. by twins <laughs> for no reason. And it's, and it's not really a film where talking about it will spoil it. Because if you're... You should, you should almost be fully prepared to walk into this movie. This is not one that you should just... Uh, if you're browsing Netflix and it's available, I would not recommend putting this on. You have to be in a sort of a right state of mind, but... Um, the that only thing said, to spoil
1: is the dapping cousin, honestly, because when that happened, I was just, like, th-
0: th- falling out the of my only seat. Time, <laughs> that was the only time I've ever found dabbing to be entertaining <laughs> in any, any form. It's an, an
2: but, amazing sequence. Yeah, I'd yeah. like... i I'd talk about this in the vein of Bruno Demont, who kind of... is He's been... Kind of at the forefront of kind of French art cinema for really since the late nineties as for his debut the life of Jesus was this incredibly acclaimed independent film, and he was kind of very much in the realm of Brasson in this very Austere, paired back cinema that had the. And he used non professional actors in these very morbid, drab films, shot in generally around French Flanders, which I think is where Dumont is from. So very beautiful locales, but often with very dark kind of uh, subject matter of tried faith and murder and sexual violence and so on. And he made several films kind of in that vein, this very austere, almost Brissonian tone. And then, some—I don't know exactly what changed—but he started to make these things turns towards comedy. And I guess the first one that was probably Little Queen Queen, in which was uh, was originally made for French television, and um, which is the first one that introduced, you know, uh, children singing for one thing. And uh, just very and just basically like there's it's a thing about cannibalism and a body found in a, a human body found in like a, a in a cow corpse uh, all viewed through the eyes of just some kids hanging out in the middle of nowhere in France uh, and like this is a very bizarre film and he's already produced a sequel which will have extraterrestrials in it which is to let <laughs> us know where we're going at this juncture so um so he he had this turn towards this kind of absurdist comedy I think it's easy to get hung up on with Jeanette. On the how outlandish the presentation is, but I think it's interesting to know why, why maybe he did some of these things. I saw was an interesting interview with Dumont where he talked about uh, a re- he, that he's a big fan of Hollywood musicals, but he wanted he's kind of as a rejection of Hollywood Hollywood aesthetics in the film, and he kind of likened mm-hmm. it to a rejection of say Italian painting styles versus the Flemish painting style, which is that the Italian painting style is very realist and ornery, and it's it's a hyper real presentation of everything um, and kind of like idolises its subjects, everyone is beautiful and skin is perfect and everything is wonderful and that's very much kind of the Hollywood aesthetic as well and whereas the the Flemish conception of people (laughs) in their paintings is a much more hearty down to earth depiction of man with his failings and foibles so this was more his vision of the film is to make a musical but to leave in the rough edges which ties in with a religious tract of being because I don't... Dumont is not a religious man himself. He's actually a philosophy professor by training, um, which philosophy professors produce wonderfully uh, uh, fun films. I'm beginning to learn as they go on. But, um... Night of comics. Yeah, Terrence Malick, also barrel of laughs. So um, so it's, it's like he, his film is, like I say, kind of a, if it's a tract about religious faith and about perception of God in man and so on, that it's a film full of rough edges and strange textures and wonderfully heartfelt moments. Um, and it's very interesting that all the song lyrics are from Charles Begui, who's a French... Uh, poet essayist from the i guess he worked in the late 1800s early 1900s and he originally wrote these plays about joan of arc and her childhood so he's adapting them and i believe he may be adapting his later ones to another film because dumont does sequels now which is totally unexpected based on his early work which are these singular drab like hardcore art house films that were almost repelled audience intrigue you know um so he's starting to do this now and and it's sort of interesting to see that that all the song lyrics are from Pigou's, uh plays and then there's dialogue around that that uh, <laughs> but all the dialogue is or all the song lyrics are from his plays but they're sung he had his actresses make up tunes effectively kind of make up sing-songy melodies and then mm-hmm. brought those melodies back to <laughs> Igor to compose his music which didn't change in kind is still literally just like thumping bass drum right. and like you know heavy metal riffing um and yeah it's just this strange syncopation of all these seemingly very disparate elements and i mean it's all directed live sound he literally just set up a mic in the middle of field so like sheep just bleat over the soundtrack <laughs> the wind <laughs> yeah. picks up you can't hear things it's you know and it, it's just this portrait of of a uh, of, of a time and a place that's completely unlike anything you've ever seen before. So, yeah, and, and it's, it's I think, an interesting, you know, discussion, both formally and why he chose to do these things, because it is very funny, but it's also, you know, very uh, cleverly put together. It's Colbert. also very composed. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing, and I, I do think, like, if any of this piques your interest give it a go stick with it it's if nothing else like Sean says you will remember it it will yeah. there's no way this one's there's no way this one is slipping away like oh no I don't really remember that Joan of Arc film this one will imprint itself on your brain for forever I would,
1: I, yeah, I would kind of um, I would try and watch it with somebody uh, because one uh, it could just be fun but also you'll, you're probably more inclined to, to like keep it going like not pausing and stuff just try you know watching it more as one one viewing um, okay cool I'm glad we talked about that because um, it's wonderful and also probably under talked about um, okay Jake Tropila you now oh. get to choose between
0: all right well well in some, keeping w- in keeping yes. with the, the, the themes here uh, I am going to pick my favorite film of the year so far uh, which oh. is Chloe Zhao's the writer. Um, this film caught me off guard completely. Uh, it's about a young man whose name I am blanking on and don't have written down at the moment. But he is a uh, he is a former uh, rodeo rider um, for horses and uh, suffered an accident where he was thrown from a horse and needed surgery done on his skull. And the film is it's about that age old. Expression, You know, you fall off the horse, you got to get back on. But it's uh, taken literally here. And it's really about him trying to get back into the world that uh, almost ended for him uh, when he had his accident. And it's about not just about him trying to get back on the horse in a literal and figurative sort of sense. But it's also him trying to do the one thing that he believes he can only do, um, which is ride horses and it's, a, it's the thing about this film, and I, I, I caught a lot of ire from Sean because I didn't like 1517 <laughs> to Paris, which restaged the, an incident that occurred in Paris with the three actor or soldiers playing themselves as the characters. Um, but here, the entire cast is basically playing a fictionalized version of themselves in the film. And so you're exploring uh, this. I, I gotta look up his name. I'm sorry. You're exploring this kid is with yeah with his with his. Uh, he has a y- younger sister who is also developmentally challenged. And he has a father who's kind of a kind of a jerk, but um, is also like trying to look out addict,
1: for him. possibly. Yeah,
0: he's a yeah has possible issues. And he has another friend who suffered a similar accident, but it was even more debilitating on him because he uh, lives in a home now and can't it barely has any motor functions. Um, and he's also dealing with uh there's an injury in his brain which is causing him to have seizures, and his hands are. Uh, fletching up at inopportune moments. And uh, it, it's just, it's interesting as a study of, like, the very passion that drives you is also the one thing that can kill you. And uh, I just to see this film, it's it's just sh- shot in a wonderfully low-key but naturalistic style. And, and Chloe's out, I think, smartly just observes these characters. She doesn't try to glam- glamorize or glorify or... Uh, it, Present them in any other light, and just sequences of him uh, breaking horses, which take up the middle section of the movie, uh, are often very fascinating and mesmerizing to watch him work with these untamed and wild beasts. And yeah. I, yeah, and and so there's just so much for it to for me to praise. But I, what do you, what did you guys think? I, uh, I it, Eric, let's yeah, hear go ahead,
3: Eric. It. Yeah, I also just adored this film like i think um what jake was talking about how he she took real people and sort of made a story out of their lives it's like it's one of the few films that i've ever seen that truly earns that title of like docudrama and it's and it, like in a lot of ways I, I sort of almost forgot that i was watching a quote-unquote fictional narrative film like they, like it because she managed to elicit such great performances out of them and i and i sort of hesitate to call it performances because i imagine she just sort of told them just do what you do basically just live your life and i'm gonna film you doing it like that's sort of what it feels like at least and i agree like with jake like those the sequences the 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 most interesting sequences aren't like the stuff where she's um like crafting story like you know creating like drama and events like you know stuff that you'd see in a traditional narrative but like the stuff like the stuff where where he's breaking horses or where he's riding a horse across the plains essentially and 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 we're just getting like glimpses of these people's actual lives Or, or where she's observing like casual conversation between people like there's a wonderful scene where like The main character and his friends are sitting around a fire and one of them's playing a guitar Mm -hmm. and they're just sort of discussing life and the rodeo and everything and like it just feels like she just dropped down like and she just happened across these events and she just miraculously got them it really does kind of feel like a documentary in that sense and so yeah I, i i agree with jake this is one of my favorites of the year
1: it's definitely my uh, favorite of the era. Jack, Jack and I went to see this on my thirty-third birthday. <laughs> um, Same age and yeah, um, and I made it out alive. Uh, They're still talking. Yeah, I, <laughs> I absolutely loved it, um, and I, I I went to see it again uh, a couple weeks later, a few weeks later, and um, the stuff that really hit me. Uh, the second time around, again, not that it didn't the first time, was this, just the stuff with him and his friend who is wow. um, hospitalized and, and is going through physical therapy and is severely damaged uh, as part of being a rodeo former rodeo star. And just seeing them um on different stages of this trajectory of like one of them having you know long ago uh, sort of like lost his his rodeo life to to that and and just sort of like living vicariously through his friend who now is kind of going through the same thing on a different level and just seeing seeing them in the hospital together in these scenes that are just she does this great she does these great like suggestive thematic things that just are heartbreaking um, between them. But yeah, that's what stuck with me. How about you, Jack?
2: Yeah, and certainly this is, I think, a superb film, and I was very much taken with it like the rest of you. Um, There's a few things that I thought were interesting within it. Um, It's almost like a a much more down-to-earth Herzogian film, like the Herzogian Hmm. hero Mm, conception, mm -hmm. in that we have someone who, as Jake says, is basically what he does is his greatest danger i mean he it, and it's kind of a portrait of this small town living i think it's set in is it north dakota i think it's a you know very rural area South dakota, it doesn't matter yeah one, one of um and basically rodeo is what the men do there for fun and for identity and to establish masculinity in a pecking order you know that that rodeo is the community there and it's a you know, kind of, it's it's something they can all do. It's a skill. It's a it's a lifestyle, but it's also an extremely dangerous pastime. And there's this kind of reconciliation of how do you forge a new identity when this has been taken away where you know as chick says you fall off the horse you get back on and he's literally told you can't get back on a horse because between your various disabilities with his seizures and so on you know it's just it's just asking for the possibility of another accident and this time it's going to be fatal you're not going to be able to bounce back so there's kind of elements of masculine construction within the film this idea of how do you construct yourself, his, his interactions with his father, who is, seems kind of annoyed that he can't give it up, but at the, at the same time can't really offer any kind of significant alter you know alternatives to it in small town living where really there's nothing else to do he works in like yes to work at a grocery store yeah this tankless job and people come up looking for autographs because he's known he's a celebrity in the area for a rodeo mm. and just you know and he, he keeps saying he's recovering and he's going to come back but there's kind of this creep throughout it's this realization that he can't come back um and one other thing that i think is is interesting may not be i don't know if anyone else has ever drawn this illusion But it's very convenient since we literally just talked about a Bruno Dumont film. There's actually a lot of uh, echoes between this film and Dumont's first film, The Life of Jesus, which is not about Jesus at all. Uh, It's about a bunch of young men in French Flanders who ride around in mopeds all day and kind of have a small town (laughs) mindset. Yeah, very, very unusual. I think an absolutely superb film. But, again, I say it's about a young man, limited prospects, small-town mindset, kind of not sure of his place in the world, has a friend in hospital who's dying from AIDS in that film. Uh, Here he has his friend who's deeply debilitated from a previous rodeo accident. And it's kind of about a young man trying to push beyond his own conceptions of everything that his life was supposed to be and realize a grander cosmic scale now in Dumont's it's realized through a violent racist encounter uh, Dumont's film is much more I guess depressing which is no surprise to anyone who's familiar with his work but there's, there's an interesting similarities there so I think if you if you like the writer or if you're familiar with the Dumont film pair them off I think it could be an interesting yeah. an interesting,
1: you know, you know how else they're connected uh neither of them are getting a good HD home video release anytime soon yeah
2: ah depressing just perfect that's true the Rider is coming out on DVD only in the United States so I'm really hoping someone else picks it up in the UK it's such a
1: smack in the face um to yeah. Chloe Zhao, i'm sure like making like the best movie of the year by many people's standards and just be like how about a dvd
2: that's okay uh, we'll get another remaster of civil war and ultra 4k <laughs>
1: so <be fun>. steel book <laughs> uh yeah um okay i i yeah this is the writer's fantastic um yeah well, okay it's your,
0: your turn sean what do you got for us
1: you know, I there's one that I really want to talk about because um, it, it's a big movie uh, for the year. And then there's another one that I want to talk about because it's a small movie that uh, either one of these, I think, will bring some much needed tension to this podcast mm-hmm. um, because it's just been going all too smoothly. But I'm going to choose the small one, The Road Less Traveled, uh, with Claire Denise's Let the Sun Shine In, or uh, as it should be translated, A Beautiful Sun Within. Um, starring uh, Juliette Binoche and it's and uh, Sar- Sergeant Stubby's Jar Depardieu. Um, <laughs> Oh, my father,
0: the hero. (laughs) (laughs) It's also a spoiler to say he's in it, though. It is (laughs) a little bit.
2: Yeah, well done, Sean, up front.
1: (laughs) Sorry. Sergeant Stubby's on it. Um, uh, But yeah, so this is just like this, uh, another short movie. um, And it's this very elliptical series of... um, Events in a short uh, short span of time within Juliette Binoche's life, and uh, she she plays like um, she plays an artist approaching 50 and her it's it's all about her love life so she kind of is going from suitor to suitor and back to other suitors and stuff like that and um so we just get sort of these snippets and and it's sort of devoid of like really giving us a uh, closure and and sort of we don't we don't always know how she meets each person or how things left off or whatever um uh, but it's such a... I went once and I fell asleep because I was just really tired. And, and I, I woke up... Like, I missed a lot of it. And I woke up and I caught some of it. And I, like... I woke up to Gerard Depardieu and I was just like, shut up! Already. <laughs> which which I realized was, like, built into the movie. When I saw it the second time where you're supposed to just be like, stop talking! Was uh,
3: it the, uh, the end sequence you're talking about?
1: Yeah. yeah okay. But, um... Anyway, uh, it's such a beautiful. I went to see it again and just was so taken with uh, Julia Binoche's performance. I think it's it's hands down my favorite of the year. There's a couple other that come really close, but um, she her, just watching her face. She she plays this she plays this very hopeful person caught in this uh, spin cycle of of just like. Loss and no, it, there's there's no way out to actually find like love. It seems like she's just caught in this continuous loop of just going through jackasses after jackasses. But um, and, but she, but watching her hope on her face as she plays this sort of passive person who's always listening to people and and trying to give people chances. And, um, oh man, there's this beautiful scene where she's in the bathroom with one of her friends and and just oh. her friends talking to her and she's just. Uh, she goes through all of the emotions in like this one shot, and uh, I, I don't know. I thought it was extremely breathtaking. Um, but you guys, some of you, Eric, what did you think?
3: Um, I I enjoyed "Let the Sunshine In." I um, wasn't as taken with it as you were, and with as a lot of people were. Um, like you you mentioned how like it's got kind of this structure that's a bit elliptical and um, repetitive and I I did find that kind of repetitiveness a little just a little trying a little um, I, I found it a little hard to get sucked in uh, mm-hmm. with that structure um, but I also see that that's entirely what Denis was going for so I appreciate it even if I didn't quite connect with it but I totally agree like it, it, I think the whole film was worth it just for Bonosha's performance I think she's she's pro- she's arguably like the greatest actress in the world right now and i think just this this it's such a different role than the the yeah. handful of hers that i've seen her do before like it it it, re- it she feels like she's Playing herself in in a way, I, I that's not quite the right way to say that, but it, it just feels she's so
1: grounded.
3: it's she it's so natural, and I just don't feel like she's acting at all. Like, which is the best part about it. Like, and yeah. yeah, it's 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 a very it's it's and it's and it's a and it's a role that you don't see that often, which is like a, a woman who is just very like free romantically and sexually, mm-hmm. like at her age, and it like where yeah and and it's 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 an, it's a very unique film i i, I haven't seen where she before.
1: yells at a guy for like sticking his fingers in his mouth
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: during sex it's like holy like no yeah that's not something i expected to see no yeah
3: it's 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 definitely not no matter what you think it's also it's sort of like also kind of like Jeanette. it's not the movie that you think you're gonna get yeah when you you it's
1: not under the tuscan sun
3: (laughs) it's it's definitely not that um so yeah i i would recommend it to anybody who's curious i i just Mm. didn't i liked it but i didn't love it
0: Uh, and uh jake you liked it i did like it i'm similar i'm similar to uh eric but uh, unlike liam neeson i am not uh taken to (laughs) it uh as you were sean but i will say that um uh, and I also should uh, say up front, I'm not. Claire Denis is like uh, one of the few directors who I'm very. I'm least familiar with her work. Um, she's made many supposedly great films, but I haven't. I've only seen a, uh, a couple of the outliers of, of her bunch, uh, except for Beau Travail, which I would describe as a flat out masterpiece. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this film is carried entirely by uh, Julia Benoche um, and its it just the things that she does is wonderful and uh, it, it is a, it is a film you kind of have to also prepare yourself for because it is like wall-to wall dialogue which I can I can yeah. definitely understand if you're feeling a little bit groggy it's gonna be hard to keep up with all the subtitles because it, it, it really flies fast um, and but yeah just it, it's interesting just watch Minosh react to all, all of like these almost toxic men in her life and she's just trying to, Form some basis of a connection that is long and lasting, and like one scene that stands out to me is where she's at a bar with uh, like the bigger guy, and he's like saying all these nice things to her, but like he's just so condescending to the the waiter about like how he should serve his drinks and <laughs> put the ice, the exactly, yeah, uh, things like that, and the the finger scene uh, also also very very came out of left field, but interesting. Um, and then, and yeah, what's really most remarkable is just this last, like, 10-minute sequence of her talking to a fortune teller, played by Gerard Depardieu, and where, where he's giving her life advice, and the, the end credits, like, just start playing over it, um, which I was like, oh, interesting. And um, But, yeah, I, I liked it. I think uh, it's because of Binoche. She really carries it.
1: Yeah, I love that. Sorry, uh, Jack, uh, Jack, in a second, but I love that the the credit scene because it is sort of this like it, it kind of goes to that idea that this is not going to end for her anytime soon. Yeah. Like it, it, no, yeah. we're just stuck in this loop, but Jack, you hated it because you're married. Oh, uh, I,
2: d- I didn't hate it, and not
1: because I'm married.
2: Um, that's why I hate it.
1: <laughs> Wait, you didn't that's, hate that's, it. That's, 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 that's
2: why do. I have cinema to escape. Clearly, that's, that's why I just end up watching a bunch of French people prompt like just poncing around in the countryside singing. No, um, I yeah. I did enjoy the film. I did like it. I was not particularly brought in by it for a couple of reasons it's just were you going to say ta-
1: were you trying not to say take
2: <laughs> no i wasn't really like i feel i feel like i could reiterate everything julie benoche is a superb and a spectacular um, yeah absolutely her performance alone is reason to, to watch the film um, I thought the final interaction between her and, Je- and Depardieu was just a wonderful kind of a sequence it's worth noting that she consults Depardieu as like a prognosticator of things he's, he's giving her a fortune reading but unbeknownst to her but known to us just prior to this he just got out of a car after his relationship ended so uh, which he didn't see coming so that's a you know an interesting point to throw <laughs> yeah. in there and say the end credits start rolling but what, we, what what drew me out of it a little bit is, and this is just personally where my head's at right now, is that compared to other films we we have on this list like um, Jeannette and Zama and The Rider, this is it's one of these films that's kind of like about a very well off white person who's a little mm. sad and I'm just I'm not and I'm just it's, it's not that this search for love isn't you know real and this kind of trying to forge relationships is a real struggle for everyone and money can't buy
1: you love when Jack rates his best movies of the year he starts with the poor people movies the poor people
2: it's, <laughs> it's kind of a thing
1: you know so it's like it's like all these
2: like Zamas look at colonialism and the writers looking at forging identities and kind of economically deprived parts and here's Julia Benoche. With her private arts <laughs> fucking flat that she's painting in, but sometimes she's a little sad. Sometimes she has sex, but okay. it makes her cry a little bit afterwards. And, it's, and I know that's a that that's something of a of a reductive reading of it. But it's just, it's a film that it just it didn't have a hook for me. And maybe it's something that at another time I'll watch it and I'll feel more attuned to it. But honestly. It just it doesn't have a it doesn't have a thrust to it for me right now. But I think there is plenty of yeah. things to recommend I think the sex scenes themselves, which often um, have so a, good. a yeah have have a kind of like the, say she's basically with a bunch of guys who are have various different failings uh, until she eventually starts projecting her own failings onto them if they don't manifest themselves. Um, that uh, yeah, that, I
1: believe the open line the opening line is like. Are you going to come? <laughs> yeah.
2: But yeah, but the sex scenes are fantastic. They they have this wonderful tenderness to them even if they're not depicting something particularly tender. They're an awkward, shifting, difficult kind of sex, you know. It's not like your your saxophone-led uh, Hollywood, you know, silhouette sex, <laughs> nothing like that. I thought those sequences are beautifully shot. Um so yeah, I, there's a lot to recommend there. It's just made for me. It's it's just not revolutionary in a maybe way that I'm looking for.
1: Him. You said, um, you said it, it doesn't speak to you now. And I was going to say maybe, um, and like, maybe if you find yourself divorced in like 10, 15 years, um, <laughs> you could, yeah. So what, uh, like I said, I, I went to it and I fell asleep and, and <clears throat> didn't catch all of it, uh, before I went back to it. But in the meantime, I was, I went back to it cause parts of it really were like sticking out to me, like some lines and, and, um, And once I saw it in full, it continued to really blossom in my head. And it's just this idea. She has a couple of these lines where she's asking, she's just talking to people and she's like, is my, like, is love behind me? Like, is my love life over? And... The way she expresses it in just this very sort of like hopeful, open way, she's not she's not self pitying at all. Uh, she's really trying in pursuit of this thing, and, and the way that she just looks, uh, the way that she's so concerned about that, really, I, I think the best way I can describe it is, I I really would be afraid to watch this movie if i were you know in 10 years time and i'm alone i i think that this would just be like an open wound uh sticking your in fi- sticking we its finger should make a pact <laughs> <laughs> yes uh is that how the the movie tag starts um we should make a pact uh <laughs> But yeah, I think it's just um Julia Binoce's
2: arms were CG for the whole movie.
1: Little <laughs> 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 well yes. known fact. But anyway, uh so I think we have so we we yeah, we have time. Let's do one more, but uh by committee. So uh on on so what we have to choose between let's just go between Zama and first reformed. So on three, say your choice. One, two, three. Zama. First
2: reformed. First reformed.
1: Well that's what oh, works. works.
2: <laughs> we don't wow. have a plan, Sean. This is working what you, beautifully. Jack, what you, which, what which do you, one do you want to do? Uh, a Tough call. I, I, Zama is a film I, th- I think is a better film, but uh, honestly, I think First Reformed supports a lot of discussion. Both of them do, really.
3: Eric, mm. Eric thank, you, you, thank you for Reformed? that, Jack. I did see First Reformed. I've seen both. Um, I, I'd prefer to talk about First Reformed because, like, like huh? Jack said, mm. I think it probably would spur the most conversation it seems like we have a go tie it. Sean it's no, up
1: to you No, Jack was open to, to either so um, let's just do let's, just, reform, even let's the,
2: just do western <laughs> <Yes>.
1: <laughs> I haven't even seen that yeah perfect oh. that'll keep things short <laughs> <laughs> it'll just be me and Jack talking uh, or, or me and Eric can talk um, Claire's camera um, okay first reform go ahead boys
0: so Ethan Hawke is a guy you see Um,
1: everybody knows what this movie is
0: yeah uh, so First Reformed is the latest film by Paul Schrader uh, veteran director screenwriter um, and curmudgeon curmudgeonly (laughs) man very very opinionated On social media,
1: Facebook's Paul Schrader.
0: (laughs) Facebook, yeah. Well, you know, there's there's a it's it's about separating the art from the artist. You see, there's a Paul Schrader on who hangs out on your dad's uh, red (laughs) conservative Facebook, and then there's a Paul Schrader, the uh, gifted filmmaker, uh, who reminds us that from time to time that he is capable of turning in an excellent film because I. Uh, I've only seen the canyons. I did not see that movie he made with. Uh,
1: <laughs> you seen the canyons. <laughs> no, I mean I'm
0: talking about his recent films. Oh, uh, okay. I was like, canyons. that's a bad. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, between the canyons and first reform. First reform is my favorite. Um, <laughs> first no, reform have, does I not mean, star Lindsay Lohan though, so yeah, mark that yeah. one against us. Lord James Dean's peen. <laughs> um, but, uh, I've only seen The Canyons the last five years. I did not see those films he made with Nicolas Cage, which by all accounts are some degrees of terrible, but this feels like a very, uh, a return to form to, um, Schrader in many ways. It's, uh, it's all, it's following his, he's very famous for painting films under his God's Lonely Man template, and it's about a priest played by Ethan Hawke. Who runs the First Reformed Church Up in New York And uh, the church is having uh, I'm, I'm, 250th anniversary it's, Exactly It's having its anniversary And he is, Sort of has a crisis of faith and that it's almost like What if uh, God's lonely man Prays to God and God does not answer And uh, He meets a young couple um, A husband and a wife The wife is played by Amanda Seyfried and the husband is a radical environmentalist who has scientific research and data that he's pulled together that shows that uh, humans are essentially on a path to destroying the planet Earth, and he later kills himself, and Ethan Hawke essentially takes up the task to fulfill this young man's mission, uh, which may or may not include a vest of explosives. Um, Now, I was... Really, quite taken with um, first performed uh, almost immediately. It has a very just from that opening shot of it's in the the Academy aspect ratio, and it's just this very. Uh, it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was shot digitally too. It has this very uh, mm-hmm. cold and sleek aesthetic to it. Um, but yeah, it's mostly just about. Ethan Hawke going through all of these various situations and trying to keep things together and have a sense of composure and keeping his faith but he's at night he's writing to himself in journals and uh, poisoning himself with alcoholic drinks and it's kind of interesting to watch his life completely unravel it's basically
1: uh, basically winter light by uh, an alcoholic man of the new Hollywood system
2: i would bring exactly. in shame as well it's got it, yeah. like there's so there's so many reference in here that's steve mcqueen's trainer. shame. yeah uh, no not that one although <laughs> maybe honestly a little bit of that <laughs> but but sh- if shame if bergman's shame has uh, vietnam as a backdrop for apocalypse, oh, has, okay has has global warming and again involves a priest and uh much I can't remember
1: shame base. is good or not
0: it is there you Maybe go. I'm <laughs> thinking of the passion of Anna, <laughs> but, yeah. anyway. But, uh, passion but uh, yeah, Anna first, first different. Uh I. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was quite excellent. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Ethan Hawke is probably the best he's ever been. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Amanda Seyfried is really good too. Uh, and yeah this film Cedric
1: just, the entertainer
0: Cedric the entertainer yeah who'd have thought that would have been the
1: Cedric Kyles
0: the yeah the right cast move for that he's very good uh in this movie but um what do you guys did think? you think Eric well yeah what do you guys think Eric
3: um I was I was I was I guess for like the, about the first half of this movie I was totally on board I like I would have totally agree with you guys except we get um, I feel like I, I just didn't connect with like roughly the last like maybe third of the film. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I guess sort of a talking point about this whole movie is like the this it, it is sort of the movie's like make or break scene for a lot of people. It's like this what's called like I guess you call it, like the floating scene where mm. it's this it's this scene where like Amanda Seyfried and Ethan Hawke have this ambiguous like semi-romantic very intimate moment and um they be it's it's this it's sort of this moment of a very spiritual moment for ethan Hawke's character and um i feel like the scene itself i appreciated i i appreciated sort of just the audacity of it because for mm -hmm. the first up, up until that point it was a pretty grounded but very like austere kind of Brysonian, Dreyer-esque like sort of character study almost. And that's sort of what I appreciated the most about, about it. Um, and then I felt like kind of after that it became it became a little um, uh, pardon the pun, it became a little preachy. It, it became like, <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like it became um, uh, less about the character and more about like the issue of environmentalism. I felt like that was being hit a little too hard and I feel like the film was providing a lot of, I don't know, obvious. I don't know. I felt, I felt like it was getting a little obvious about a lot of, of yeah. what, what I felt was like a lot of really great subtext in the first.
1: It's certainly not film. subtle. Yeah. Uh, it's a,
3: yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I, I, I saw it like I've seen it a few times <clears throat> over the past few months. Um, it's just like presented itself to me. And one of the things I I took away from the last time, uh, not that it wasn't there the first couple times it's just how like funny I thought the movie was uh, like I'm not laughing I'm not laughing in the theater but like there's so many like grotesque images that uh, I think that he presents in a way that is it, it's just a weird comedy to it that, that it's, is- it's strange you mentioned that
2: because honestly in the screening <laughs> I watched um, in a packed theater everyone laughed every time he like poured himself a drink I'm like this. Dude is oh, an, I, like <laughs> an alcoholic killing himself. Why is that the thing everyone's laughing at?
1: And I was laughing at like the pr- the protest song and like the weird images of like like um, uh, the environmental stuff or like a car like starting up and the smoke goes up. There's just like a well, wee- it's hard.
3: There is like it. there is a sort of awkwardness to it. Like there's I think. There, there is a moment that I sort of laughed at loud in the theater, which is at um, the funeral service for Amanda Seafried's husband, which exactly. she's scattering his ashes, and she, it's just like in a plastic bag. His ashes are just in a plastic, and she just sort of like tosses them very awkwardly, and she like shakes the bag <laughs> and everything, and like and I and was they're like, singing Neil Young, <laughs> yeah, and they're singing Neil Young, and it's just like it was so odd and surreal that i couldn't help but laugh and i think it was meant to be kind of like it was meant to be this like it's like this weird contrast between the somberness and like also the awkwardness like the very human awkwardness of death and everything and so like i i appreciate like i just i that was kind of one of the moments that i loved i loved how he sort of balanced that tone
2: yeah i think think one one of my major takeaways from the film um and it's maybe not an uh Core reading of it I think it's an interesting film I, Again I'm I'm reluctant to say That it's It's great I think it's a very good film But like Eric I had some issues with it I felt like the floating scene uh, just It just It it didn't work For me At that juncture And it's, it's a film That's very much indebted To references to Particularly to Tarkovsky There To Bresson Obviously Diary of a Country Priest There are two films About terminally ill priests Keeping diaries It's very on the nose And to be fair Schrader openly embraces all of these references he's not like claiming that he does he obviously wrote a book about bresson so he kind of knows exactly what he's referencing here um but one thing that i did think was interesting is that in this film that is done in a very austere style with very clear references back to kind of the very formal masters of cinema um, that it's a film that's shot digitally which I thought was kind of an interesting kind of a, an antagonism within within the film. And it kind of had me thinking with the nature of the church itself. And maybe this, again, this is where my head mm. was at. But this is kind of where I was thinking. Um, Schrader was at the screening, but I couldn't get my stuff together to ask him if this was in any way intentional. So instead, a bunch of other idiots got up and asked... <laughs> Equally terrible questions. All men, by the way. I
1: I I read uh Kierkegaard. Yeah, yeah. Funny you mention it.
2: Yeah, you know that guy that's very much openly referenced. Are you familiar with him? (laughs) Yes, I am. Great. Taking up everyone's time with that. Superb. Um but yeah, um so I was I was interested in the way that this film openly references classic cinema, but it's shot digitally, and this idea Mm -hmm. of the church within the film is Revolutionary! It was part of the underground railroad. Railroad.
1: It had all these. men. Oh, that's another. That's another funny scene where he's like showing.
2: Oh yeah, showing the
3: kids. Oh god, and he's like, he's like like imagining down there the the, the horrors of slavery. (laughs) Like he's like these second graders. It's a funny. (laughs) It's it's
2: a funny scene, but it's also a film that is genuinely leaning into an apocalypse, which is something I think that's unusual between this and many others. It's not just a Christ of faith. I think Schrader is genuinely leaning into global war as being an insurmountable apocalypse and that that's Mm -hmm. what god can answer for but the church was revolutionary and it participated in these things that you know like the underground railroad and now it's been bought up by a mega church and really ethan hawke's character toller is he's he's a kept man he's just sort of a face for a a church that's really just a tourist attraction you know and it's kind of like that through a capital system capitalist system this church has been neutered and made safe and bought up by the corporate system and effectively been rendered null. Um, and I thought it was interesting within a film that has this this tug between classic influences and formal transcendental influences and a digital aesthetic and a very openly digital aesthetic. It's not made to look like film at all. That this is a kind of a question of the film canon. I was kind of wondering if Schrader if is... Invoking all of these films, but then also tearing away from them with this film with the uh, visual look as a question of maybe if our canon has become. Safe. if these directors like Bresson and Tarkovsky have become somewhat safe because they've they've been Hmm. brought into the canon even though they dealt with such heavy, important subject matter that still resonates that they've become fodder for film school and for just kind of disassociated, kind of Mm middle-class people and he's trying to re-inject that urgency to remind us that these films are about these films are life and death in one way I thought that was a really interesting element within the film
1: that is really interesting, and I think that um, <clears throat> there's a case to be made for that, especially for, like, Bergman. Like, he's become such a household name, but, like, you know, uh, I think Bresson and and Dreyer are, are, you know, not not near the level of popularity, but, like, where Bergman has become that sort of sanitized
2: he has uh, and, and icon. Yeah. Bergman ran that risk even when he was growing in popularity in the United States, and he became just the hip... Art house director for people to go to, um, but yeah, it's it's interesting because I feel like maybe Dre and Bresson art is well known generally, but among film students and about among people who watch mm-hmm. a lot of films, yeah. and I feel like this film is very much pounding you over the head with those references it's a film for film students in a way and i I don't like not like it's not a film for film students those assholes who go to film school and they're just like oh i wall off the matrix i'm gonna write the next one sorry i have a bad experience experiences with a lot of film <laughs> students. So I'm terribly, uh, terribly filtered on that. I mean, people, anyone who considers himself a student of film, which I just now realize is equally as bad as what I first described.
1: <laughs> but, um, <laughs> we get you. Jake, yeah. Jake, did you. Jake, did you have some things you wanted to add?
0: Just a quick thought about people laughing at him pouring a drink. Um, okay. I, I don't think I... Uh, the shot of the Pepto-Bismol going into the whiskey... Uh, kind of. like got looked, a
1: taxi driver.
0: it looked that looked horrifying yeah. to me, and I wanted to also mm-hmm. bring up that uh, A24, the company who distributed this film, <laughs> yep. uh, started a contest on Twitter <laughs> to get people to drink these called the Peptolitan Challenge, and uh, they they quick yeah you had to pour whiskey for four seconds and then do a droplet of Pepto Bismol and down it. I'll yeah, um, go and challenge a friend to do it too. And if both of you did it, you won a hoodie, right? Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> the price was A hoodie, a which, sweatshirt.
0: can
1: I say? Uh, so Sophie has one of those hoodies, uh, which are not cheap, but it took months. It took literal months for it to be delivered. Wow. Did she
2: shoot some whiskey and Pepto to get it? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> no, but I-, I love that that shot is so. A It's so beautiful oh, yeah. to look at and re rewatching Taxi Driver. I think it's uh I, I like it more than that. not that it I don't know what this says, to, but I like it more than the the uh, the taxi driver shot.
2: To to finish the story with A twenty four, it's worth knowing they then pulled the competition yeah. down. <laughs> after some complaints my main complaint about that competition was that everyone was using really shitty whiskey and i figure if you're gonna try and win (laughs) an award (laughs) crack open like a single barrel like something willet or whistle or something like that and screw that up with your pepto because that means you're actually in it to win it like jim Beam, like fuck off come on
1: (laughs) all right well before oh oh i did want to say while you were talking about these um <clears throat> these two churches as sort of uh, symbols of something extra textual jack um one of the things that i thought was kind of funny so i i went through a lot of schrader's movies after i saw this the ones that i didn't i hadn't seen previously and um uh i came away with the the uh what's grd like question or answer simile type thing of um to me, uh, first reformed is Schrader and abundant life is Scorsese in a certain way where, um, it's just like this, this huge bout of access cinema across the yard. And then you have this guy who is just working. He's just wants to make movies about one person usually, or very small movies with no money. And he stopped working with Scorsese because Scorsese wouldn't work on a large budget anymore. Um, But, uh, and then I tweeted it and nobody said anything or liked it, so, um... It's very popular. I feel thing like Scorsese's to, to really say.
2: only turned over to the massive spectacles in in the last year. I think he's just turned into Michael Powell in, in the last right. twenty years, which I, I honestly, I think, I'm sure, I don't think is a terrible thing to be honest. No, but anyhow, just different aesthetics. Yeah, certainly very different.
1: Okay, uh, so we're. Go- I can't believe we didn't talk about Zama. Zama's so good. Zama's uh, very anyway. good. Go watch well, Zama first.
0: Tell tell. Let's talk about Zama. <laughs> no.
1: I've already written about it uh, uh, elsewhere, but uh, people can watch Zalma. It's great. It's um, getting
2: a Blu-ray release, at least. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> uh, I, yeah. Okay, so let's do putovers. Um, Jake, let's start with you. Oh, fuck.
3: Um, okay, Eric, let's start with you. Alright. Um, I am putting over uh, the HBO series High Maintenance. Um, it's What year is it? Wait, 2017 20 um this the series no never mind go ahead okay <laughs> um but no i i just i just discovered this series i know it was um a popular web series for since like 2012 i think is when it originally aired um it's about a um a weed dealer um who rides around the city delivering weed um to new around new york city and it's less about him and more about his customers and the people he delivers to. And it's this wonderful little um, sort of anthology series about these little vignettes and short stories and getting glimpses into these, the lives of these disparate New Yorkers. And um, uh, it's created by Ben Sinclair and Katja Blickfeld and Ben Sinclair also edits the series and he stars as the guy who is um, that's all he's known as, and uh, I ju- I just recently started watching this. I sort of was I slept on it for a while now, and um, I I just sort of fell in love with how like understanding and empathetic it is towards all of its characters. Like it, it's it's um it's it's not it's not girls. It's not like it's it's not like presenting this sort of like very narrow view of New York City and doing so in this, in this like sort of cynical hip way like it's it's very um the it, new york it, City gen- you know <laughs> exactly um it, it's it it it's a, it's a side of new york city that uh, people don't see in movies or television a whole lot and so um it and it's it's it's, it's just so warm and, and 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 compassionate and and i feel like that's I don't see that type of show very often. Um, I've
1: almost started watching it uh, a few times. One of these days, I'm going to hit. I'm going to actually hit the button.
3: Yeah, I would recommend it. I would recommend starting with um, all of the the web the web episodes are also on streaming on HBO, and I would recommend starting with oh, those okay. because. Because the web episodes, like they're at at most like twenty minutes, but some of them are as short as like three to five minutes. Is this so-
1: like it, is this like when you're like taking a course in college and the professor's like, make sure to read the introduction, and then no, you
3: just like, it's skip definitely it anyway? Not. Like, <laughs> no, there, no, it's definitely not. I would recommend it's it's a good. Because the episodes are so short, it's a it's a great, like, non time consuming way to see if like this show is for you. Um but also like um it sets up a lot of storylines and characters that show up in the HBO series when they eventually move to a half format. Um and and also a lot of them are just great episodes in their own right, too. It's not it's not like like the the, the lo fi sort of like proof of concept for the eventual TV series. Like they were putting in a lot of effort into the web series itself. And so like, they are these like wonderful little discrete short stories that work very well on their own and in their own right. So yeah, that I'm high maintenance. I would recommend cool. it to anybody.
1: Uh, back to you, Jake.
3: Yeah. So I'm going to put over a TV
0: show as well. Um, I'm a big fan of the comedy bang, bang podcast. But up until recently, I'd never given the show a try, and I was a little—I was a little worried going into it because I'm—I'm I'm a big fan of the uh, the unscripted podcast series, and it's—I find it to be hilarious, and it's a great way to start my week. Um, uh, and I also think that a lot of the fun of it comes from. Just these great unscripted moments between characters, and also people trying to stifle laughter in the background as something funny is happening. And so, going into a scripted version of that where there would not be any laughter, I was a little trepidatious at first. But I found after watching uh, the first season and a half, it really makes the form it makes great use of the TV format and is, is works as its own completely thing. Com- yeah, completely as its own thing. Um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I think Scott Ackerman is a terrific host. Um, and a lot of the sketches that they do on the TV show prove to be brilliant in ways that they could never be on a podcast. So uh, Yeah, it's
1: a really tight. It's a really tightly composed yeah. uh, show. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, the humor <laughs> is just as sharp as uh, I would hope it to be. Um, and uh, they have a lot of great uh, characters who come over from the podcast. So it's always nice to see. Uh, improvisers like uh, Paul F. Tompkins and Andy Daly show up Um, so yeah that's my put over every episode is on Netflix uh, the Comedy Bang Bang TV show
1: alright Jack Eason
0: well Sean Glynnis
2: I'm gonna put over a series of films Um, if you have Amazon Prime right now um, which you may or may not want to have but it's sometimes useful. Amazon Prime is really good <laughs> in that it's basically just an incredible swamp with amazing films, but good luck finding them.
1: Check out check out acoustic ca- uh, content on Offact Network.
2: Oh, gee, yeah, I think they've <laughs> they've trolled the true depths of that place. But anyhow, there is some good stuff on Amazon Prime, but uh, as I say, good luck finding it. But one of the things they have is a bunch of Shaw Brothers seventies and eighties kung fu movies. Um, So if you were just looking for an hour and a half of just riotous entertainment, fantastic, fun, kinetic filmmaking, stunt work, super editing, just ridiculous storylines, often with very strong moralizing messages that kind of work but also make you wonder what the hell is happening, uh, check out films by... like. um, The two main names, I guess, Chang Che and uh, Tang Chia. If you search for films like Five Element Ninjas or Shaolin Prince and just take those directors and just search for all their films if you enjoy them. But there's a bunch of them on Amazon Prime and they're all somewhat similar and yet all have their own little tweaks and and gimmicks to make them interesting and different. They're just superb fun. Honestly, I, I challenge anyone not to enjoy these films.
1: Nice. I, yeah, I think, um, you know, last year I kind of did like a horror year and, and tried to acquaint myself better with the genre. I think next year, if I don't start this year, I, I want to do Kung Fu stuff. Um, could be some fun. <clears throat> it will be very fun um okay so i'm going to put over uh i've been watching a lot of films by koryeda uh i'm not gonna try and pronounce his first name but japanese filmmaker uh contemporary and um uh the best one of the group that i've seen is like father like son which i recently watched on father's day appropriately because it's about a terrible dad um and also a good dad i suppose but um Uh, It's a movie about uh, this couple who find out that their son was swapped with another boy in the hospital upon their birth. And the kids are like six, I think, six or seven. And so it's kind of a huge thing to find out that your child isn't your naturally born child that you thought it was the whole time and um so the the hospital is like oh when this happens you we usually suggest swapping as soon as possible and um so it, it's this family it's this father who's like a workaholic and and who's very much interested in his son succeeding at uh, at things like he, he, instead of being a compassionate father, he's very much into like making sure he follows the rules and plays piano well and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and then they clash with this family who is this very kind family of a lower class. And, um, they're just trying to figure out, reconcile what to do and, and trying things out and seeing what's the best fit for each child. And, um, it's, it's a slow burn, like, um, all of Coriata's films, but, uh, it's, quite beautiful and it's um some of the shots are just or some of his films are shot very just naturally and um this is one that has a, a beautiful um i would say just watching the the hd version of it because it's it's just has some beautiful compositions um but yeah like father like son all right well that's it um you can find us at optimism vaccine on twitter you can also email us at optimism at, at optimism vaccine at gmail.com uh you can find me on twitter at mr glennis you can find uh jake trapila on twitter at jake trapila you can find jack eason on twitter at the real jack eason and you can find eric bailey on twitter at bailey with a y correct yes all right uh jake last word
0: yeah David, David, don't. <laughs>